Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. I am the adoptive mother of four children. We started Adoption Now to tell adoption stories on a radio program that has now become a podcast on iTunes. We have all those stories at adoption-now.com. We also started a blog every Monday called Adoption Is. We have Saturday suggestions on social media every Saturday to help you with your adoption journey. We would love for you to follow us on Instagram and check out our new things going on there. So we just released this blog called Adoption Is, and this week was Adoption Is a Triad, meaning the birth parents, the adoptive parents, and the adoptee. We talk about recognizing each role in the adoption process. We got great feedback so far, except for those that don't like adoption. And a lot of times uh, that's the adoptee who is possibly resentful about their adoption story for various reasons. And really, honestly, this, this really breaks my heart. I realize that adoption is hard, but I want children to feel loved and connected to their adoptive parents. That's something that I think about often and how can we reach those people who are bitter towards adoption and how can we help them move past that? It just so happens that I was connected to our next guest, who I love. She's amazing. She's real and she's inspiring. Meg Nyberg, welcome to the show. Hi, April. Thank you for having me today. So you came at a perfect time. We need you. Yay. We need your voice. Meg was adopted from Seoul, Korea at the age of six months to a family in northern Minnesota. She grew up shy, introverted, and misunderstood by many of her teachers and peers. The one thing, though, that kept you grounded, you said, was the swim team. You mm-hmm. swam in high school and in college. And then in 2005, you moved to Colorado. And you just started this this journey, really diving deep into your adoption story and years of repressed grief. And that's your words. You said that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you started with movement in your body, yoga, and you were able to really feel the sadness for, for the loss of your family. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about what you went through just by going through therapy and writing and prayer and just finding your way back to the truth. But let's talk about when you were first adopted. They brought you home Mm -hmm. at six months. Why did they choose adoption? So, um, and this is really interesting and we'll circle back to this, but my mom um, was diagnosed with lupus at the age of 13. And this was of course back in the early 60s. Um, And they had told her right from the very get-go, look, you're not gonna be able to carry a child. I know that it has changed now in which they can work through that with lupus, but she was unable to have um, a natural childbirth for herself. So why do you think they chose Korea? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting the way God unfolds and kind of brings you to where you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't initially choose Korea. They actually had chosen an adoption previously. Um, they had tried two failed adoptions before they got me. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were like the prize Yeah, baby. it was like the third one that came through like, hey, mom, I'm here. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so th- were they trying to adopt in? Yes. Okay. The first so was domestic. domestic, and then the second was um, international, also in Korea. And what happened was, and I'm not for certain on the exact details, but I guess at the end of the year, the government had shut down international adoptions. And so the child that they were supposed to get actually went to a different family at a different time. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay, so they get mm-hmm. matched to you. Yes. And they, did they go get you or were you brought over? I was brought over. Um, my mom said that they got a call and they had been going through this process for years, right? Mm-hmm. And my dad had just kind of let my mom take over. And what happened was they got a call and they're like, look, we just had this baby come through. She was born. Um, we don't know anything about her. We don't know anything about her mental health or her physical health. And my mom was like, we'll take her. <laughs> right. At we that point, care. she just yeah, found a baby. Like, just, yes, we'll take her. And so they started the paperwork, and six months later, I was um, in Minneapolis. And so talk to us about growing up in mm-hmm. Minneapolis. Well, I actually grew up in Bemidji, which is four hours north of Minneapolis. Um, you know, it was a smaller community. It was... Um, it was difficult at times. I was, I didn't look like everyone else. I know I shared a picture with you that I had sent. Um, and so I didn't look like the typical Northern Minnesota girl or boy. I didn't have the blonde you hair. You didn't? No, no way. <laughs> I didn't have the blonde hair, the blue eyes. Um, and I was really quiet as a child, which is really interesting because people that know me now are like, what? Right. You were shy. I feel that way too, because you're so outgoing. Yeah. The, the minute we started talking, yeah. we just didn't stop. Yeah. And I so know. you're so outgoing. Why do you think you were shy? Because you didn't look like anyone else? You know, I don't think it was anything that had to do with me not looking like them. I think that was maybe a piece of the puzzle, but I think truly most of it was um, that early separation loss that I experienced with my mother, my birth mother as a child, I really think, um, spending part time in the orphanage and then with, um, my foster mother, I believe something just not necessarily bad happened, but I think my life shifted. Um, when my parents got me, they said they were nervous that there was something wrong with me because I didn't cry Hmm. at all. I was very silent. I was not really a reactive baby. I was pretty in my own world. And I don't know if years of daydreaming as a young child kind of was a piece of that when I was growing up, but I was very shy. Did you attach to them? You know, I attached to, to my dad right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something my parents have also shared with me. They, my mom said, um, you know, it hurt her heart because I didn't attach to her right away. Um, it took a couple years, but to my dad, I was so attached to him. And one of the things that I found really interesting, and I do remember saying this, is I'd go up to people and be like, this is my real dad, and this is my adopted mom. Oh. Yeah. And the reason I would say that is because my dad had black hair. Oh, you're identifying. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. He had black hair. My mom had blonde hair and light-colored eyes. But I would tell people this is my real dad, even though he's Swedish, which is kind of funny. But at a young age, I really didn't distinguish the physical differences between the shape of my eyes. You know, I just didn't really see those different subtle differences. Um, but I attached closely with my dad at first, and then... You know, I still remember being around age three or age four when that attachment to my mom was very intense Mm. Um, to the point where I remember sitting at the door when she would leave for work sobbing until the point where, you Mm -hmm. you know, you're a mom, where they cry so hard, babies cry so hard, they afterwards need to take a nap. Right. Uh Okay, so I find this interesting because in the work that I've done with adoption now, We see that there's two sides of kind of an off balance where the child is shy, does not attach, or they overattach, and both can be very unhealthy. Yeah. Did your mom feel like, this is great, she loves me, or did she think, what's what's going on in her little psyche? I'm not really quite sure. I, I know that I had a working mom, so she always just 
you know, she knew she had to get to work. She mm-hmm. knew she had to provide for the family. She um, was the breadwinner in our family. So that was something that I'm not quite sure we haven't discussed that piece. Um, I know a lot of times she probably didn't see that because my dad was home with me. Mm-hmm. So I'd go into bed and snuggle with him in the morning. When they would drop me off at daycare, it was the same kind of experience. Were there other kids that you were exposed to that were also adopted? I was. Uh huh. So in our community, and I don't know how I got so lucky, <laughs> but I, and I'll share this with you guys too, but um, I had quite a few other adoptees that, from Korea that I went to school with that were even in my class. And I mean, we grew up in a small community of, I think, 20,000 people. I think there were at least four or five other Korean adoptees in my group. Um, within my parents' friend group, there were at least four other families that we spent time with. Okay, so you did have people that look like you, yes. but you still felt different. Oh, yes. It, yeah, and that was one of the things my parents put me into Korean camp. Oh, this, let's talk about yeah, that. I want to yeah. talk about that. <laughs> because I think this is also a mixed uh, opinion, Yeah, is that some people say this is so great when you adopt from another country, make sure you send them to that camp. Yeah. And then some kids are like, no, I don't want to go. I don't like it. Yeah. So what was your experience? I did not like it. You did not like it. No. You know that feeling where you get, when you're at someone's house, when you're really little and you have intense homesick, you like feel very homesick. Like you just need to get back to your comfort space. Mm-hmm. To me, being at Korean camp was the ultimate. I would shut down, completely not be able to speak super shy and all I wanted to do was run home. Do you think it was because it was a camp or specifically because it was a Korean camp? Because I felt that way at every camp. I was always like, I've got to get out of here. I want to go back home because I was just not friendly. Um, And that's funny. It's not funny as a kid. Mm -hmm. I was like that too. But why do you think it was because it was Korean camp? You know, when I think back to and I really, really, really touch base with with my soul, I truly feel like it was a reflection of something that I lost. Mm. It was too hard for me to process mm-hmm. at that age and truly not to really, you know, we, growing up, my parents and I didn't really talk about my adoption that much. And so having that reflected to me without really having those important conversations is scary. Mm-hmm. You know, as a child, can you imagine being a five-year-old and processing, wow, I know I'm different, but then all of a sudden I'm seeing all of these other children that look like me. I'm having cellular memories of this is this is my calling or not necessarily calling, but this is who I was. Mm-hmm. This is the past life that I've grieved and I've moved past without really knowing it. Mm-hmm. And so I think without having the words to express that, what happened was I would shut down. It happens a lot. I know that when people bring their children over from an African country or a Mm -hmm. different country and they speak a different language, but they're older, they will surround themselves with other people of that nationality here in America and the child will not speak the language. Yeah. You know they know it because they've only been here for a couple months, but they they don't want to identify with that anymore. And I I think that you should just let the child decide if they want to, but forcing them to be back in that culture can also force them to be experiencing a lot of pain as a little kid. And anxiety. Yes. Major anxiety and trauma. I mean, you know, and I think one of the things that I'm really fortunate with my mom is that she listened. Mm. My mom and dad listened. Mm -hmm. And each child's going to be different, right? There were some kids at Korean camp that would just, which was really interesting. They may be shy in school, but they got to Korean camp and they would just thrive. I mean, Mm. they did so well with picking up on learning the language and they would just be in their zone. Mm -hmm. For me, it was a place I did not want to be. 
This is very interesting. Mm -hmm. And every time I have an adoptee on, I am just processing my own children and how I'm parenting. And right now we have a five-year-old, our Lily, who's Colombian, and she's trying to process a lot. We put her in a language immersion school and she's doing Spanish. So she is now with all of these children that look like her Mm -hmm. and her teacher looks like her. And she is amazed and she says, you have the same skin as me. And she constantly draws pictures of her and Miss Sonia and they're always holding hands. And she's like, mom, look at this picture. She loves this teacher. She's identifying. And then I decided maybe we should start talking about her adoption and maybe I should show her pictures. So last night I was showing her, look when you were a baby. And there was a picture of her birth mother and she wouldn't look at it. Oh oh my gosh, that's gonna break my heart. So. As a mom, you're thinking, what, what can I do here that's healthy and that's right? And I want to say the right things. And I, I want to shut the computer down if it bothers her. Should I force her to look and talk about it? But then I, I was like, she's five. Mm-hmm. So if she's not ready to go there yet, yeah, then we will just let her do what she needs to do. She'll ask me about it later. Mm-hmm. But let's just, she's happy about identifying with this teacher and these other kids. Let's just go in that that direction. I don't know. You're tearing up. So yeah. Am I doing the right thing? Oh, absolutely. And I think what why I'm tearing up is just seeing, you know, recognizing that might have been, it's scary perhaps for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a mother, I feel like you guys know each child of yours is different and mm-hmm. intuitively you know how to connect with them. Mm-hmm. And I think really letting um, them show you how they're feeling through their actions, you're going to be able to have access to what their thoughts are, mm-hmm. you know, how they're acting or, or, or how are you feeling with them? You'll see it in their face mm-hmm. if they don't want to talk about it without using any words. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if they're children that perhaps are people pleasers, they could be telling you one thing, but you can see in their bodies that they're not okay mm-hmm. with talking. That about is a really stiff. good point. So mm-hmm. we had a friend of mine, Megan Clark on, and she told her mm-hmm. story about being adopted from Korea. And she said that very thing. Yeah. She was a people pleaser. She said all the right things. Mm-hmm. She did everything perfect. She was a great student. She was athletic. And in her own way, she was trying to tell her parents that she was struggling. Yeah. And isn't that weird to be perfect? is not really the communication that we'd pick up that a child is having a difficult time. Mm -hmm. Did you do that? Were you maybe on the side of being more perfect? Um, I don't know that I was on the side of being perfect because I definitely had my fair share of like rebellious moments Mm -hmm. that would come and go as a child. But I think mine was more people pleasing with my parents. If they were ever to touch base with me, like, hey, do we want to talk about this? I would say no. Oh, so they tried. They tried. Mm-hmm. They tried. See, that's but it's really it hard. It wasn't something that I had access to, but I think it's not necessarily that I wouldn't have spoken with him. It's that the right vehicle to bring me into having those conversations wasn't being used. Right. So it were the conversations that kind of lead in. Like you can't just jump into a conversation and say, let's talk about the most painful thing in your life and expect you to right. open it up. Right. You know, it kind of has to be a process mm-hmm. and a continual process that happens you know, with regularity. Were you embarrassed that you were adopted? I don't know that I was embarrassed. I know, no, no, let me back up. Cause I remember when I was younger, I would tell everybody I was adopted. I'm like, I am adopted. Mm-hmm. This is my adopted mom. I was so proud that I was adopted. And of course I never said this is my adopted dad. Right. I thought we were blood related. Right. <laughs> um, and then when I got to be around middle school, when I think shame starts to really become present in so many different avenues. I didn't want to talk about it at all. Middle school, absolutely not. Um, 
college, I started to open up about it in terms of writing and journaling, but those were only with people who I was very close with. Okay, we're going to talk about your journey through experiencing the pain and really revisiting the loss because you can go your whole life which is saying, well, I was adopted. I love my parents mm. and I don't know anything about my biological family, but that's fine. Absolutely. And achieve in life and just go on. Talk to me about why that didn't work for you. So I had gone pretty much my entire adult life with completely feeling that my adoption did not affect me, um, that I was perfectly fa fine with everything that had happened because I had no conscious understanding of it. Um, but things were showing up, right? Depression. Mm. I was depressed. Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, bouts of depression and for no particular reason at Tell all. Tell me about that. Like laying in your bed depressed or what is depression? Well, How I, did that look like in your life? So I remember, and I was actually sharing this with a girlfriend the other day. I'm like, I remember being in seventh grade, maybe sixth grade, and it was the fall, which is the time um, of my birthdays you know, comes around. And so I had no idea, but so every fall I would start feeling this, um, where I would sit on this little hutch that I laid on in my room and I would open up the, um, the window and I would, I would let the fall air come through and I would watch the leaves fall and I would listen on repeat to everybody hurts by REM, like just sitting there, just mm -hmm. sad. Like I couldn't, I didn't know where that sadness was coming from though. So you didn't like your birthday? No, I hated my birthday. Really? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Wow. And to this day, I'm still learning to like my birthday. But mm -hmm. once I became aware of my trigger, which was my birthday, I understand. And I give myself special care and, and, and additional love around that time of the year. Isn't that interesting that the body remembers? The body remembers. And I remember, you know, you know so um, dealing with depression my entire life, um, having relationship issues where I would consistently push men away. I would try to be the one that would escape before they would leave me, right? That was always, mm -hmm. when it was a reoccurring theme. And um, one of the things that I had worked through through therapy is my therapist, we were talking and she's like, well, what is it about your birthday that is so difficult for you? And she probably knew the answer, but she wanted me to say. And I looked at her and I was like, oh my gosh, it was the day I was born. It was the day I lost my mom. It's the day mm -hmm. she left. So... That, I'm sorry, I'm going to get a little emotional, was a really big awakening for me that the body remembers. It's cellular DNA. It's in us. Um, even though we can't consciously remember, we can subconsciously remember. And as a child up until my 30s, my mid-30s, I was still remembering. Yeah, that just breaks my heart yeah. because it is a loss. And you you knew her for mm -hmm. nine months. Yeah. You loved her intensely. And we can't take that away from a baby. The baby and the mother have a bond. Mm -hmm. In fact, I had a therapist say to me that the only time a child can bond and, and that word can actually be used is during utero. Yeah. We never use that word after the child is born. We use the word attachment. But uh. as an adoptive mother, I am not privy to the word bond. Right. And that was hard for me to hear at first. I mean, I want to bond with my children, but I didn't carry them for nine months. Yeah. She did. And I have to honor that. And I have to remember that children love their mothers. Mm -hmm. And that's a very special thing. I get attachment. I get to yeah. raise them. So I do get to play a big role, right? But going back to that and to that grief, how did you move past not wanting to celebrate your birthday. And did you talk to your parents about that? 
Um, you know, I still haven't really opened up that conversation, the specifics about it. Um, but it's more so we've been able to talk about um, how much I've they've seen progress in my healing. Um, I was on antidepressants from the age of 16 up until just the beginning of January of this year. No way. Yeah. Oh and my goodness. Yeah. It's been from a lot of um, shadow work. And oh, we're going to yeah. talk about that. Yeah. Well, how old are you now? I am about to turn 38 in less than a week. Oh, we're the same age. And yeah. you look like 21. <laughs> you look amazing. Asian jeans. I can't mm-hmm. wait to mm-hmm. put your picture on Instagram and social media. You're so beautiful. I mean, you're so gorgeous. And just to think that you went on this journey to find yourself, it's so brave. Anyone that does it, I'm just amazed because you can stuff things down and say, well, I'm fine. I was adopted. But to really say, I'm not fine, I'm not mm-hmm. okay, and I'm gonna take time to feel this grief. Oh, it's very brave, very brave to do that. So when we come back, we're gonna talk about what shadow work is. Stay tuned, we are listening to Adoption Now. We'll be right back. Hi, this is April Fallon, the host of Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. We love all of your feedback, ideas for shows, and applications to be on the show. Email us anytime at april at adoption-now.com. We would love for you to subscribe to Adoption Now podcast by clicking on the subscribe button on iTunes. Then you'll get a new story as soon as the podcast is released. Again, thank you for listening to Adoption Now. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, we're talking to Meg Nyberg. She was adopted from Seoul, Korea at six months. And she's been talking about how her life growing up was not bad. Even though you went through a lot of depression and around your birthday, you felt sad. Your parents loved you. Eventually, you did attach to them. And you felt like you had a great life. Yeah. What in your life changed where you said, wait a second, I I have to explore something else. So this was about 2011 and I was just coming out of a um, destructive marriage. I was married previously and I just couldn't figure out why relationship after relationship was failing. So I started, I embarked upon a trip um, to New Mexico by myself to just kind of journal Um, touch base with myself um, because there's always been a piece of me that has kind of wanted to go down this certain road of exploring who I am but I just did you know anything about your birth mother um I know her name um I've been told stories about who she was but that was something that through also some of my work I've worked to rewrite the story on that so really nothing um I know that she Um, gave birth to me and she was unwed at the time and left the hospital before the um, foster care could get there to do paperwork with her. And then did you go to foster care for the full six months? Yeah, well, I was to the adoption um, to an orphanage for a while until I was assigned a foster parent. Okay. Mm -hmm. And do you know if you were close to the foster parent? I'm not certain. I would assume I I would have been because um, in the paperwork that I did receive from the foster parent, um, it sounded like we knew each other pretty well. Um, She definitely knew that I could have a little temper at times. And my parents were like, yep, that's true. As a little girl, you occasionally would throw your temper tantrums. Um, And so I believe we probably had an attachment for sure. And did your parents give you your paperwork 
when you were younger or when did you get that? Yes. Okay. Right. I mean, I don't even remember a time in my life that I haven't had my paperwork. Okay. So it wasn't a secret. No. Uh. Uh-uh. It was in this beautiful book that they had, um, my great aunt Edith and Norma had put together and it was in this beautiful book that just had all of my pictures, paperwork, my ticket. And they, even at the time when they picked me up from the, the airport, I guess when they came off, there were, I think 13 other babies that came off the airplane and She's like, you all have these really cute, adorable um, like onesies on, and they're not supposed to let the parents keep them. But my mom, being the lady she is, she's like, I'm keeping it, and threw it in the baby <laughs> in the baby bag. And so I have that forever, which Aww, is so cute. Uh-huh. It has like these little Asian babies playing ball. Aww, so so mm-hmm. that wasn't enough for you. Mm-mm. That information, what was on your paperwork, that wasn't enough for no. you. No, but and and you know, like I said, I never knew that there were issues. I never knew, because I had a beautiful upbringing, had beautiful mm-hmm. parents that were supportive of me, put me in any sport that I wanted to do. They were such great parents. But um, when I was down in New Mexico, I just, I felt like I needed to go do my yoga teacher training. And it was there, we initially set an intention of why we were here. And it was so interesting because my intention was to work through um, some depression that I had had my whole life. And before I knew it, Every single time we had Dharma talk about what we were trying to move through our body, every single time it came through my mother. It was something about my adopted mother. Wow. Every single time. And the more that I started to move my body, the more I started having breakdowns. And I was like, wow, this is repressed grief that I've never even felt before. And I mean, I would get to the point where I'd be on my mat and I would be full-blown sobbing every time I was at yoga. So it was repressed feelings about your birth mother? It was repressed feelings about my birth mother, um, just sadness for me as a baby. I was able to connect with that that child within me. Um, one of our yoga teachers took us through this guided meditation where we imagine ourselves in utero. And that is when I lost it. I was like, oh wow. my goodness. That was just, it was really started to shake things up inside of these memories that I had lost, these memories of being connected to um, a woman that I don't know in my adult life, somebody who had carried me for nine months, love in her heart, and and really then being able to connect with the sadness of how scary that must have been to all of a sudden be not just jarred into going from being in, in utero, but just to be being born and then not having the smells, the sounds, mm. the familiarity of my birth mother there. It was it went from zero to 60 fast. To think about how vulnerable a baby is, it's overwhelming. I was just thinking, I'm so glad you're on the show, but I was just thinking about this the other day when I was looking at my baby Malia, who's 18 months now, and she's looking around, she's having fun in the car, she's singing, and I said to my husband, she knows no different. You know, she she just woke up one day and she's just with these people. Yeah. And hopefully we are gonna take care of her. You know, she was left at a hospital and her mom was gone and she had no choice. Yeah. No choice in the situation. She had no voice at that time, you know, and everyone's trying to do what's best for her. And I'm not saying that it's bad or good. I'm just saying like the thought of that on a little human being is a lot. Right. And going from home to home and, you know, we're all trying to do the very best we can with foster care and taking care of these little ones. But that 
that loss in the brain and that confusion and those different sounds and who's going to feed you and everybody holds a baby differently, mm-hmm. right? You feed a baby differently. Everybody burps a baby differently. And so a child is like, who's, who's holding me now and what's going on here? And, you know, and it's different when you have family members taking care of your child because you always return. Yeah. So the familiar person is always back and then, oh, okay. Oh yeah. My mom is here. But all of that is confused. And you were confused for six months. Absolutely. And so going back to that and that grief, how did you even get off the floor? Uh, You know, a lot of therapy. And it was, and I had gone to therapists when I was younger, but I found an amazing therapist. Um, I started reading a lot. I started journaling and I started talking about it. I actually started talking about it. And, you know, I almost felt towards the end of my yoga teacher training, like, oh my gosh, my fellow peers are so tired of me talking about my birth mom. My adoption, but I, it was something that I unapologetically had to talk about because it was, it was like, um, you know, when I went through my yoga teacher training, I was 31. It was like 31 years of just like repressed emotions that I just stuffed so deep down. Inside. But why do you think you stuffed them down? You know, I think I was, I, I just think I wasn't ready, not necessarily wasn't ready to talk about those things. I think I was partially didn't have the tools to talk about them. It was a child. And at no fault of my parents, they probably didn't have the tools either to help me talk about those things with myself and 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 with them and share. And so that was really a difficult thing, right? Um, I also think I wanted so badly to assimilate and to be accepted. I didn't want mm-hmm. to be different. I wanted to be accepted. I, you know, I look back at myself, pictures in college, I'm like, wow, oh my gosh, it's hilarious. I have colored contacts. Um, color contacts, dyed hair, you know, I just had tried so hard to assimilate. Um, I didn't like any Asian food. And now I hear I am at 38 and that's my favorite thing to do is make Asian soups all day long, every day. It's like, really? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Did a part of you not want to explore this because you were afraid you were going to hurt your adoptive parents? And there's that piece of it too. Um, Absolutely. Because, you know, there's a part of growing up being adopted that you feel um, there's a piece of you that has to constantly feel happy and indebted to somebody because they they bring you into their family. And I don't know that that was ever spoken to me as a child, not that I would remember and I highly doubt it was, but it's something that other people, strangers on the street say to you like, oh, you should feel so lucky that you were adopted by such amazing parents. Yeah. So it kind of takes you out of that feeling like you can feel sad and grateful at the same time. And I think when, you know, you're a child who's growing up with depression and trying to work past that, you want to stay in a space of gratitude. And that's where I was at, where I was like, oh, this isn't what's causing my depression. It was too scary to face. I say that all the time, that adoption is a dichotomy. Mm -hmm. There's many opposite emotions going on at one time. You're thankful that you have these parents. You're sad because you weren't with your birth parents and that's okay. We can feel those things at once. And we can't really worry about our adoptive parents. Let's just say I was adopted. We can't really worry about our adoptive parents because we have to find ourselves. We have to do what's best for ourselves. And I think we're moving, adoption in general is moving in a direction where adoptive parents are open to that. They want to find 
the birth parent. I do. I do. I, I think about it all the time. Like one day we're all, we're going to go on this big adventure and there's going to be this, this reunion. There's yeah. going to be this exploration and I get to be a part of their life in that. I hope they'll let me, but you know, that's a part of it. And, and I can see on the side where you're like, I just want them to be mine and I just want them to only want me. But you know, that's not what adoption is about. If you right. want to adopt because of that reason, then you're in it for the wrong reason. Right. If you want to adopt the entire story, that means the joy, the grief, and everything that comes along with it, then you're ready to adopt. Then you can embrace what adoption really is. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing I think about is, you, you know, the way, another way to think about it is, is if a mother were perhaps to lose a child um, through miscarriage or stillbirth, that mother will still grieve that child, but can also celebrate the next child that comes after. Mm -hmm. And that same thing kind of happens with an adoptee. You are simultaneously grieving and celebrating at the same time. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. a really good explanation. Mm -hmm. Were you the only one in your family? Did they adopt again? Nope. I was so you the only were one. only child. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of pressure on you <laughs> to fulfill them being parents. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you go through this time, you're really accepting everything. Let's talk about shadow work. Yeah. Shadow work is really, you know, we see a lot of things in media today about how we're stepping into our light and seeing the light within all of us. Shadow work to me is the dark, the sticky stuff, that stuff that we don't like to talk about. Um, that's the stuff that really moves us into the light. And they don't, one, you need both to have one, right? So to have light, you must have dark. And to have dark, you must have light. And so to me, the shadow work is really stepping into where am I feeling pain? The sad and sticky parts of my stories that I need to work through. Um, and, and really knowing that's part of my story, right? Regardless, um, there is a saying by Rumi that he says, the wound is where the light enters you. And, mm. and, and that is part of the shadow work is the wound, right? And if we can take that and think about how that wound will transform us into beings of spreading light to others, then I, I really encourage people to step into that shadow work. Did you take your adoptive parents on this journey? No, I didn't. Um, I actually, um, and I would like to start integrating them now. I know I've had some conversations with my dad um, privately, but I didn't. I, I clued them in, not necessarily on the details, but clued them in on I am seeking, um, I'm going to a therapist weekly. I'm doing a lot of journaling. I'm doing a lot of writing. I'm doing my yoga teacher training. So they had clues that I was digging into the shadow work, but not necessarily the details. Um, and it's not that I didn't feel that I could share with them, but it's like, it's that I didn't have the, I didn't have the words yet. Whereas now I feel like I have the language to express to them in a loving, empathetic way so that we all stay safe. Did your relationship change with them? Yes. It did. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. So, well, it's interesting because I don't know if it's changed from my shadow work for my adoption or my shadow work for um, due to my fertility um, path that I've taken. Um, but my mom and I have grown in ways in the last 10 years that I didn't even know possible in ways that... Um, she understands me and I understand her. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. You were able to rewrite your birth story. Absolutely. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was working through um, a workshop, a healing workshop. And one of the things that I feel like we get um, lost in is 
we can create these stories, right? And those stories will always be our reality, regardless of what the truth is, right? And that story might be anything from, oh, I'm really ugly and I, I, I can't, so I can't do this. Or I have a learning disorder, so I can't do this either. And so one of my stories was that, that I believed, and I actually had written this story in my mind, but never spoke to anyone about it, was that I was unlovable, that my mother didn't love me because there was something wrong with me that perhaps because I was illegitimate that I would I would be completely disowned from families all of these stories and so what I did was I sat down and rewrote the story for it to be something that I could be proud of um you know in my mind I had thought oh I've a young mom she was um perhaps working in an industry that was promote, promoting the sex industry that really crush me in my heart. But the reality is, is I don't know the truth. Right. I don't know the truth. So why wouldn't I write the story to be one of love and kindness and beauty? So I rewrote the story, um, actually wrote it down and every morning would read it and then, and let it go and step away. And before I knew it, the new story actually makes more sense to me than the old story. The new story is the one that I believe. The new story is the one that resonates with me. That doesn't mean I don't step into grief every now and then um, and cry or feel sad, but that new story is able to guide me in a way that's more, um, it's helpful for who I am mm -hmm. and, the, and, the, and the road that I've walked. Because mm -hmm. it's not like you're ignoring the truth. You just don't know the truth. I don't know the truth. And so to have this other story was stopping you from the things that you mm -hmm. knew you were called to do. Yeah. And so rewriting your story in a way was freeing. Absolutely. You could step into being loved, mm -hmm. being accepted. Yes. And knowing, and, and even just down to the, I mean, I got detailed, super detailed. And I think that's part of it. Like mm -hmm. I was like, my mother is an artist mm -hmm. and she loved, I mean, I was an eight pound baby. So obviously she loved me. She, <laughs> you know, she uh -huh. fed herself. She, you know, and so I had to really think about that. Like, wow, you know, she was a special mother because she let go of her mm -hmm. child because she wanted me to flourish in this world. I wrote down all of those details and they are, you know, um, attached with my, my deep connection with God. And that is that she wanted me to go to my parents who are truly calling for me. And, and I believe that in my heart, um, that my adoptive parents are my parents who I was meant to be with. Really? Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. I really love that because it helps us all have peace that God is in control mm -hmm. and that through grief and through the messy, he orchestrated the whole plan. Absolutely. And he's in it. Even if you had a rough upbringing, he was in it right. and he's in your life right now. And he can always guide you to a place of freedom. He can always guide you to a place of redemption. Right. And that's the great hope that we have as we kind of seek out the painful things in our story is that it's okay to go to those dark places because there's hope on the other side, mm -hmm. because there is light on the other side. You have struggled with infertility. Mm -hmm. And this is interesting because you had said that, you know, this might be the thing that caused you and your adoptive mother to become so close. Yeah. She also could identify with that. Yes. So I have had um, six pregnancy losses. Um, my first pregnancy was a, an ectopic um, and I lost my left fallopian tube. And then just recently in March, I had um, another ectopic pregnancy where I lost my right fallopian tube. So wow. now I have um, been given two options. Well, actually, yeah, two options if 
on my journey to become a mother, one which is IVF, and the second which is adoption. Um, and I believe what's happened with my mother and I through this whole process um, of loss is we've been able to connect with each other. And it's so interesting because we don't even have to use words. It's mm-hmm. just like I've been able to, because there, there have been moments where I've been angry, where I've been an angry adoptee. But then going through my own um, chapter of infertility has been really eye-opening to everything that my mom experienced, Mm -hmm. everything that my mom experienced and how much she wanted a child. Oh my gosh, how much she was called to be a mother and is now a mother. Um, I relate to that so much. And I I just know however a baby comes into your life, it's always meant to be. Mm It's crazy to think that you might be an adoptive mom. Right. Right. You were an adoptee working through all these and thinking about your birth mother and you may have a birth mother in your life. You mm-hmm. may become this adoptive mother mm-hmm. and you have so much to give to an adopted child because you have been adopted. Yeah. But how do you process that? I mean, that is like a huge circle, right? Oh my gosh. Tremendous. And that's the one thing I've thought about too, is if we end up adopting is can I, am I going to be strong enough to be an adoptive mother? Oh, yes, you are. Of be- course. Because it is, a, it's a, the, an adoptive mother, I don't think we give it enough credit to adoptive parents, all that they go through. And I could cry again now because I think of my own mother and just how wonderful she's been. And can I live up to that? You know, it's been pretty overwhelming for me, but I know that if, um, it's meant for me to be a mom, it will happen. And so I just really have to give up control and believe Mm -hmm. that if it's meant to be, it'll happen, Mm -hmm. um, whichever way it is. Mm -hmm. Adoption is healing. Mm -hmm. I will just tell you that I see the full circle all the time. Mm -hmm. And even in my own life, I was healed in adoption. Yeah. I'm going to cry now, but my kids and meeting their birth parents and how we went through healed my heart. Yeah. And that is what adoption is all about. It's hard. And when we get stuck in the hard and we don't look for the good or the joy, we don't work through things, we'll get stuck right there. Yeah. But if you keep looking, you keep going through what you need to, to get to the other side where, and it doesn't matter if you're the adoptee, the birth parent or the adoptive parent, there's a journey, there's pain, there's loss, there's hard times, there's all these things going on. All of us are more together than we think Mm -hmm. in this journey. And then all of a sudden we get into these situations with other adoptees or adoptive moms or birth parents and we're maybe in a different uh, role, Yeah, but we're like, oh, now I get it. And now I can understand. And that's what it's about. I mean, I can't tell you what adoption has done for me in general, I am so thankful for it. And I'm yeah. thankful to talk about it with people like you because you're open and you're honest and and you are seeing it from so many different points of the triad. Mm-hmm. And that's what we really need to do. That's what the show is about is let's talk about this. Oh yeah, I, I made a decision on this. Nope. Then somebody else comes in with another point of view and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't think about that or I didn't think about this. And that is what it's like to, to parent an adoptive child also is you're like, okay, I'm trying to see it from their eyes and I'm trying to help them grow and understand. We all have our messy stories, all of us, whether we're adopted or not. Right. And so really trying to find the truth in all of our lives is really important. Yeah. And, and, you know, just from a relational um, perspective, um, a good friend of mine, Carolyn Flyer, um, she's a mother of a child who's in heaven, had said something to me just recently that really spoke to my heart. She said, Grief either brings you closer together or further apart. And 
um, you know, I think that in itself is something that has brought my mother and I closer is that mm-hmm. we've been able to heal together. And um, even in my relationship, and I even even would say that as an adoptive parent with their adopted child, it's grief that you guys are experiencing together, um, that you can either grow together or you can either let it separate you. But um, I do believe those scary conversations that may need to happen um, is an indication. It's an indication if you're feeling fearful, right? That you're, you're standing the right way because mm-hmm. you can always be comfortable and never have those conversations mm-hmm. or you can perhaps maybe start to open the door. What's your advice for adoptees that are struggling right now? Um, adoptees, you know, I, I think I'm going to keep it pretty simple when I say this. Um, one of the things that I love to do is is to ski. And so what I do is I go out and I find that one thing that I love to do and I re- recite a mantra. And that is my adoptive last name. So when I ski, every time I do a turn, I say nom, nom, nom. And it's a way for me to put me in a state of gratitude and knowing I would never be here skiing. Mm. I would never be in this very moment being healthy had I not stepped into being adopted. Um, and uh, along with many other things, that is the simplest, easiest thing that I think a person can start with today that doesn't take a lot of work. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you. When you adopt, please come back. Of course. Right? Yeah. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.